Welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. Well, welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory. And again, we're going to be talking about the kingdom of God. And we're going to start a little bit of a study uh, that works into explaining some of the basics of the Bible going from the Old Testament to the New Testament. And uh, I've been working on it for a long time. Uh, well, actually, probably been working on it for half a century. But uh, there's so much that is going on in the news today that we hear from different uh, news media that uh, isn't true. And you can, if you're willing to look at both sides or numerous sides or numerous reports uh, in the news media, you find out, well, wait a minute, uh, this, you know, like uh, just just this morning I heard him saying that, uh, that there are more storms and all this stuff because of the hurricane. And in reality, the, there really isn't more storms. There's actually way less deaths from the people that uh, are uh, killed in these different uh, hurricanes and storms, etc. It's just not the same as uh, they're saying on TV and the media. Uh, there's actually, to some degree, there's less storms uh, in the last few years. There certainly isn't increase at all. There is a decrease in the number of people that are, are killed. Part of that is because of, uh, you know, preparation. And uh, we do have satellites that are watching the weather. And, and people, and of course, the media hypes it up so much that a lot of people take precautions. Sometimes homes are built better. And they can withstand uh, the uh, onslaught of winds and tides. And so the reality is there is no evidence that there are more storms in causing that are caused by global warming. Uh, whether there's global warming or not, that uh, is another whole topic. And that's not really the topic we're talking about. That what we're talking about always when talking about the kingdom is the misreporting of the facts. Because the facts matter. And we report a lot of facts. We go back to the original Greek. We go back to the uh, original Hebrew uh, language for the Old Testament. We look at all kinds of different reports, all kinds of different versions. We look at historical record, which has been increasing because they actually find more archaeological um, uncovery. I'm actually, maybe we'll get to quoting somebody who was... Uh, Died in 1906, who did huge amount of study in numerous countries of the biblical text and came to a lot of different conclusions. Was a well-respected individual, but if he died in 1906, he never even saw the Dead Sea Scrolls. He never saw a lot of the uh, uh, things that had been recovered or uncovered about the biblical times and reading the Bible in the context of the times. Knowing what the language meant, what words meant at that given time in history is absolutely essential to understanding what the Bible is saying to us today. Because the authors used words that had a particular meaning at that time and we need to know that meaning 
Otherwise, we could be deceived. To say that there, the, the new meanings that we have added to words are actually giving us a clearer picture than the people who read the Bible 2,000 years ago is absurd. Because that would mean that the Bible was deceiving people 2,000 years ago, but we now know the truth. That doesn't make any sense. The apostles knew the truth. They knew Christ. They, when the people who wrote the Bible, uh, down the different books of the Bible, the different epistles of the Bible, they had a first-hand knowledge. Our, the afternoon show that we do, uh, is often preceded by somebody who wants to throw Paul out entirely because that disagrees with their interpretation of the Bible. But that's, of course, either you're believing what the Bible has to say or you're not. But the reality is, is what you don't need to believe is what everybody tells you it means. So how do you know who's telling you the truth? We look at the news reports, you know, watch this station, watch that, watch that station. We can actually call people on the ground and the network and say what's actually happening. We can look up the data ourselves. But then again, we've done programs showing that data has been skewed by some uh, overzealous uh, collectors of data, uh, especially concerning global warming. Uh, the, actually, whistleblowers like in Australia went around and actually examined the actual stations and took their own figures and found out that their figures were different than the ones being reported by the official universities who sent out people to examine this. And when they uncovered that they were giving false data. They were skewing the data on purpose to prove that global warming, because it was important to them to prove that global warming is actually taking place. And of course, I don't deny global warming is taking place. I'm just not sure they understand the cause because I also look at the sun and the moon and the stars and I see that there's global warming taking place on Mars and Saturn and Jupiter. And so if it's taking place there, it's pretty much not the burning of fossil fuels. It must be another cause that is influencing whatever data they are collecting. But we're interested in the kingdom. And I only use that as an example to show that people can skew the message of Christ, the message of Moses, the message of Abraham. And then once people accept it, they will deny anything that is contradictory to what they already believe. We see this with the COVID. Uh, Everybody believed that, oh, masks will make a difference. Well, actually, everybody didn't believe that, but the media was telling us that. Uh, Dr. Fauci was telling us that. But then Dr. Fauci said something different at another time, and then he went back and said another thing at another time. And so the science was constantly changing out of one individual's mouth. But then if you actually, and we gave lots of reports at Preparing You, and if you're in the network, you would have got them. I just talked to somebody uh, who is actually a part-time neighbor, and uh, they got deathly ill after they got the uh, jabs. And uh, they say, well, now we know, because it's coming out, that uh, we didn't really need to get those things. <laughs> And they really aren't effective. And I says, well, we all knew it on the network. 
because we actually looked at other sources. Now, why did I look at all these other sources? Well, because something told me. A little bird told me. A little spirit, a little voice in my heart said that something's wrong. And so I went up and looked for second opinions and I shared those second opinions with lots of other people. And now much of what I was saying, uh, almost all of what I was saying is true because I'm reporting what other scientists are saying or discovering. Uh, and that's that's my report. I didn't do all the studies. I read many of the studies that were coming out even before the first vaccination. And I shared them. You can look up them up at Preparing You, uh, numerous scientists. And I go down and, and there's many links uh, on that page to some of their reports, some of their studies, uh, some of our other articles that show that we knew what was going on as far as, you know, what was happening with this pandemic. And we shared it. And many people made choices based on that information. But of course, our contention is is that you need to make choices based upon the Holy Spirit and not upon just facts. But why are we sharing all these facts? Why do we take all this time to look up these facts and show you what other churches, other ministers, other purveyors of doctrine do not show you? Well, the reason why is so that you can set down the misinformation you've already accepted as true. The same as people might do when looking at climate change or or uh, or other things like uh, COVID and uh, and economic things that are going on. We're actually going to get into that. I've taken a lot of notes on some of the economic uh, crises that are on the the brink that are coming uh, in the future and what you can do about it because everything that we're seeing today. To some degree or another, the principles of it, that the driving forces of society, as well as the collapse of society, the breakdown of society, the corruption in society, the corruption in government, has happened over and over again throughout history on different levels. One of the early articles I wrote is, you can go to Preparing You and look up the term Rome. And we show you that Rome wasn't so different from what we're doing today. It just depends on what time period you look at Rome. And the reason why is people are not so different. The spirit of righteousness is not so different. The spirit of unrighteousness is not so different. So once we understand those spirits, those driving forces in society, we can kind of see where society is going. What we need to see is where we need to go. And that's what Christ came to tell us. And if somebody is misreporting what Christ came to tell us, giving us definitions of words that just ain't so, giving us definitions of words that are contradictory to what Christ actually meant, we can be misled. And of course, Christ warned that many would be misled, that there would be a strong delusion that... that you know, many people would be making a mistake. Peter warned us. Paul warned us. But can we recognize those warnings in relationship to what we already believe? Because those same people that had gotten deathly ill, that they have friends that are still believing that all this was good and all, all these, they have decided, no, it wasn't good. 
No, it wasn't because they've actually looked at other information. But I think this is what I found when, you know, I just came back from a trip that took me all the way to uh, Wisconsin. And I, I observed people and the way they think and what they say and what they believe. And I've known some of these people for a long time. And the reality is, is that what is it that one person sees a set of facts and comes to a conclusion and another person sees a set of facts and they come to a completely different conclusion? You know, I've given the example of the Essenes reading the same exact Torah that the Pharisees were reading. They read it in Hebrew. They could read it in Greek. And they were coming to a different conclusion as to what it meant, as what the prophets were trying to tell us. And many of the beliefs that we see coming down from the people that we call Essenes were in alignment with what we see coming out of the mouth of Christ. What a lot of people don't see is that we're actually following the ways of the Pharisees more because we create a doctrine, a dogma, created by men, not by Christ. Using the words of Christ, taking them from here and taking them from there, they build an image of Christ, the image of the gospel, and people accept that. But what they're actually often doing, I mean, there is 40,000 denominations, so somebody's doing this. They're actually masking the actual gospel. So you cannot really see the true face of Christ. And so we want you to see the true face of Christ. We want you to be able to recognize the Holy Spirit of Christ when it speaks to you in your heart and your mind. And when you see that, you can set down the lie because this is what we were warned, that there would be this strong delusion that people might believe a lie. And there's a lot of lies out there to believe. And we see it in lots of different aspects of of life. I always remember that my uncle, when he went to school, they told him that the... uh, uh, Aurora Borealis, the northern lights, which he could see from the his front yard many times because he lived far north up in North Dakota. He said that that was reflection of sunlight off of the poles. That's what he was taught in the school. And I was trying to tell him, no, that's not the case. That's not what it is. It's the heating, it's the heating of the upper atmosphere through, you know, the solar winds that come from the sun. It's not, it's not reflection off of the ice cap. And he didn't want to believe that. And, but he, you know, I was somewhat persuasive because of the fact that I had had a lot of information before, but that's not what he was taught in school and he was going to resist. We actually later with my cousin, we went over and that he lived across from the one room schoolhouse and we went in there and we actually found the book that said that the northern lights were caused by sun reflecting off of the North Pole. That's what he was taught. He believed it for decades and decades. He resisted believing me when I was saying, no, it's actually something different. And uh, because once you accept an idea is true, it's hard to let it go. And why is that? Well, it's pride. And I'm not saying that pride is always bad. Pride is good. But 
pride against the truth is not a good thing. And it can get you killed. It can get you into a lot of trouble. It can lead you down dangerous paths. And of course today, the whole world is going down an extremely dangerous path. And, uh, I mean, there, something wicked this way comes. And so we want to prepare as many people that are, have the humility to look and see what it is that we do not see, that we need to see in order to be saved. Because we're supposed to be seeking the kingdom of God and His righteousness. I saw another report today. Stossel did this about all these volunteers in the Ukraine that are coming there and so efficiently helping people out by the thousands because they don't look to the government bureaucracy. They do it on their own. And, you know, that that is a kingdom track where that's what the Christians had to do because they were excluded from the government benefits of Rome. And there were lots of government benefits and there were lots of famines and we see in Acts dearths coming, which is food shortages, economic crunch, there was runaway inflation in the first few centuries after Christ, uh, because they had taken all the silver out of the Roman denarii and there was corruption in the governments and Christians fared pretty good, even despite the persecutions. And we've shared on some of our pages the actual trials of some of these Christians back in the early 100 A.D., 150 A.D. And what they were accused of. What was the conflict between the Christians and the Roman government? The Pax Romana, the Roman peace. And that's why we wrote the article on Rome to show you the parallels to our own time. This is an individual journey, but we need to learn to make it together. It's a voluntary journey where we need to be seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness. People today, this is one of the biggest blind spots. They're not willing to see what is righteous and unrighteous. should be pretty obvious. And we've got lots of stuff that we will show you that. But what we're going to talk about, because Jesus said the weightier matters were law. That's what he said. The weightier matter was law. But he added... The weightier matter of law, uh, justice, mercy, and faith. So law has to be justice. And we've seen a lot of law enforcement people being unjust recently. And we see a double standard out there. There was a double standard at the time of Christ. We see people being arrested for really no crime more than suspicion. Or at least they're, you know, they're being swatted as they say. You're going to see more and more and more of that because the world has gone down this other path and they sit in darkness and they are blind to what they're doing. And anybody who speaks something that sounds like the truth, they are going to want to suppress. But if people are willing to speak it, you should be willing to listen to it. Even if what they're saying to you is a lie, you listen to Why do they accept this? I think this is not true. I think that is not true. Well, explore it. But you're going to need an inner compass, a Holy Spirit, and we're going to, and the law can actually lead you to that Holy Spirit if you understand what the law is, because Christ said it was the weightier matter. But the problem is there's so many different definitions of the word law. 
There's so many different systems of law. Even the word Torah is said to mean the law. So what is the law? Well, one law is natural law. And natural law is also defined as right reason and divine will and, uh, and, uh, and this idea that it is built into nature itself by God, by, you know, the creator. That we were endowed by our, uh, with our rights by a creator of nature. And, and nature's God. So what are they all talking about? And how can this help us? I mean, I heard economically people are saying, oh, you know, that this runaway inflation, we need to buy gold. Well, you know, there was an HJR 192 back in the 1930s that made it illegal for U.S. citizens to own gold. They repealed that law, but they, but they only have a legal title to gold now. And if you don't know what that means, stay tuned and we'll be showing you. But the Torah is said to be the law of God. That is the way they define it as a, as revealed to Moses and uh, recorded in this first of five books of Moses in the Hebrew scriptures, which we call the Pentateuch. In the Hebrew, we see this word that we pronounce as Torah as the letters of uh, Tav, Vav, Resh, Hey. And that means, uh, or said to mean instructions, teachings, law. Uh, but it should be law through the Holy Spirit. Is it law through the Holy Spirit or is it law through the imagination of men? Through the doctrines of men? What did... Christ mean when he said the weightier matter was law. What law was he talking about? Because there were lots of laws. There was a law that was nailed to the cross. Is that the same law that Jesus says is the weightier matters? We say this one word law and we seem to think it's all encompassing. And the Greeks, they only had one word for law, generally speaking, which was nomos. But the Romans had two words for law. Two words that are commonly translated law. They knew the difference. Very few people, and I discovered this years ago when I first picked up uh, Black's Law Dictionary that mysteriously appeared on my front doorstep, and I saw there was so much Latin in this Black's Law Dictionary, a common law dictionary used by attorneys all over the United States, and has been around. I mean, they're up to, I don't know, ninth, twelfth edition now, minus Black's third, but they all have this Latin in them. And I, I know Latin. God did put me in a place where I, when I was 13, I was studying Latin. So I could read what they said the Latin meant, and I read the Latin. And I saw there were two words they were constantly translating into law. One was usurus, the other one was lexlages. They're not the same words. So that was the beginning of my trip into this, and we're going to take you down some roads that you didn't even know existed. So be right back. So we'll take a look at this uh, this word Torah, which a lot of people say means law, and it does to some degree. And then, like I mentioned, that there was a law that was nailed to the cross, but 
that that's what people that Christ nailed it to the cross uh, and it's done away with. Uh, well, which law is done away with? Because it actually says handwritten ordinances. And of course, supposedly, if you believe that the Torah was an inspired book, or the, the you know the the Pentateuch were inspired books as a result of the revelation of God in the heart and mind of Moses, then it wasn't just handwritten. It was written by revelation. And whatever was meant by that revelation, that's true. That's that's actually what is, because God is this existing one. This God is to understand God is to have right reason about God. To really understand God. Problem is, is a lot of times, like I said, we we create an image of God and we believe in that image. So we're going to take a look at this word Torah real quick. I mean, it's basically consisting of uh, four letters: uh, Tav, uh, Vav, Resh, Hey. And as we've said many times, all these words, all these letters have meanings. That's the way Hebrew was constructed, so that each stroke of a letter has a meaning, and by putting that letter there, you're adding meaning to the word. And this is really handy when trying to look at it and figure out what the words mean. The problem is that the word Torah isn't always written with just those four letters. It's written a number of different ways. And we'll look at one or two of them in context so that you get an idea. We can't go into all of them, or we will never get to this. Uh, and I don't know that, you know, in seeking the kingdom of God, which is an infinite kingdom, we're never going to get to it. But if we can dispel some of the misinformation we accepted as true, it might help us when the Holy Spirit is speaking to us with this still small voice in our heart and our minds. And we don't listen to it because we have this other information already stuck in our heads by other people that, that is actually part of that strong delusion. That strong delusion keeps you from seeing the truth. I can't give you the truth. I don't have control over it. But that divine revolution, revelation that we see coming from Moses, coming from Abraham, the man of faith who walked in faith, that you need. You need that same faith. You need the faith of Abraham, the faith of Moses, and the faith of Jesus Christ. You need the heart of Jesus Christ. You need the mind of Jesus Christ. And if you're creating images of Christ in your mind that are incorrect, they will keep you from seeing the whole truth. Because you won't see Christ. You won't, you, you have this blockage that you need to set down. This is why humility is so important in the gospel of Jesus Christ. So, again, those letters, Tav. What is the letter Tav? Generally speaking, and I have some really short definitions of the meaning of the word Tav. And it's not just based on my opinion. It's, it goes back to ancient, uh, uh, theologians, ancient scholars, uh, people who have studied the language for over thousands of years and they seem to come to a kind of consensus. I've gone out and, you know, with my own guiding Holy Spirit, found the different people that talked about this and I quote them. I put their words in in these definitions to share with you. It may not be 100% accurate, but we're talking about words and every word has multiple meanings. And so, every letter. 
will have multiple meanings. But there are patterns to those meanings. And Tov is a seal of a higher realm. And that realm is where revelation comes from. This is the spiritual realm. This The Tav is the seal or the connecting point of that higher realm. It is the crown through faith in a spiritual or sub-quantum reality. Uh, I could put uh, pseudo-quantum reality. Uh, a spiritual reality it is our connection to that spiritual realm. That we can't see. It's not. It's a more subtle realm. So. But. That Tav. Is the letter of faith. It was actually written as a doorway. Because it's this doorway. To that realm. That kingdom of heaven. That we need to access. And Christ was the door. And the doorway is from where this. Revelation comes. Through faith. In that door. Faith in that Christ. You see, so these are metaphors. Words are symbols of ideas. And so I'm, I'm taking a look at those symbols. So you have to ask yourself. Now, do you really, all kinds of people believe that they believe in Christ. And, and James has a lot of stuff. Even Paul has a lot of stuff telling you how you can tell whether somebody is really have faith. And he says, judge me by my works. What am I doing? And how important that is, it really, we're going to see because of the words of Christ. Because the doctrines of the church are only the doctrines of Christ. And and you always have to read James and Paul in the context of Christ. And we have Christ's words reasonably consistent. I mean, people will read the whole Bible and they'll... Of course, they're reading it in English and they'll say, oh, this contradicts and oh, this, he says one thing here and he says another thing here. And, you know, like Mark seemed to have some problems with geography in Israel, like he had never been to Israel. And and a lot of theologians notice this, that, oh, he thinks that this was close to that. And no, we know it isn't. So there was like errors in his reporting. But the essential message of Mark is not an error, not in conflict with Christ. You just have to understand it. And of course, this is why Paul gets such a bum rap and Peter warned us that Paul was going to talk to us about things hard to understand. So anyway, Tav is this letter of faith. That's the first letter of the word Torah. Second letter is Vav. And Vav is a connecting or dividing uh, uh, symbol. Between realms and worlds. That's the way they say it. It's dividing between realms and world. Or connecting between realms and worlds. So again, that you can... If you have the door open, <laughs> you haven't really made a connection. you got to go through the door. That's an act of doing, going through the door. And, uh, you know, just like Jesus uses the same metaphor, knock and the door will be open. He's not actually talking about a real door. He's talking about principles. You have to desire to see the truth and be willing to see it. But if you, if the door is open, you still have to go through it. The act of going through it. and Which brings us to the next letter, which is the Resh. The Resh is almost, and all Hebrew scholars is referred to as a process of clarification. And that process, that has to do with action. A process of clarifications. Life's re- revelations. So, in other words, you 
when you open the door and there's light on the other side, you have to be willing to see that light. To receive that revelation. And if you're not willing to see the revelation, you're not going to know the truth. You're not going to know the law. You're not going to know the way. That's what Christianity was called, the way. And so the the last word is complementary to, the last letter is complementary to the, the letter resh, which is hey, which is an expression of thought, speech, action. So again, this process has to be put into action. And we're going to tie these together over and over again and show you how important that is because Christ said it was important. He said you couldn't just be a hearer of the word. You had to be a doer. He's talking about this resh hey, the process of clarification through the expression of thought, speech, and action. You have to be a doer of the word. Somebody just did a video uh, in New Zealand that was shared with me by one of the ministers there in Australia. And he was he mentioned me in the video and he mentioned what we would talk about. And he kind of considers himself, he doesn't like to call himself a Christian. And I understand that emotion because of the fact when I first began to understand how I was lied to when I was in, you know, not necessarily everybody was lying to me because they wanted to lie to me, but because they were already believed a lie when I was in the seminary. That it gave me a distaste. I didn't want to use the word church. I started using the word ecclesia all the time instead of the word church. And I see a lot of people doing that over the years. But I realized at one point that that was because I hadn't forgiven the people who told me things that were not true, misled me with false information. I had to forgive them because they know not what they do. Isn't that what Christ said? (laughs) Forgive them. They know not what they do. Once I forgive them, I could use the word church. I could use the word Christian. I try to put lots of adjectives in there. The modern church versus the early church. Because they're not, the modern church isn't doing what the early church did. The modern Christian isn't doing what the early Christian did. And that's what we're going to want to get to. Is what did the early Christian church do? Because chances are it's closer to what Christ wanted us to do. And Christ said we had to be doers. We don't earn salvation. But if you don't do, you'll forget. And that's just what he was telling on his video. And I've, I've talked about it many times. That I, I will sit there and I will show the Bible. People have these misconceptions simply about what it says in the Bible. And I said, well, it doesn't say that. And they said, well, no, it says that. And I said, no, it doesn't. <laughs> and where do you think it says it? And they tell me and we go look it up. And they go like, oh, my gosh, it doesn't say that. I mean, over and over again, because of the fact that they they get these concepts in their mind and, and they stick in their mind. You know, we're having more storms than ever because of global warming. And no, we're not actually having more storms than ever. We're not having more deaths than ever. But you heard it on the news, so it has to be true. But it isn't necessarily true. And it's the same with the gospel. You heard it from a preacher. He's a real nice guy. Yeah, but he's deceived. He's under a strong delusion. He's giving you misinformation. Now, I could be giving you misinformation, again, 
What you need is the Holy Spirit. And if you become a doer of the word, if you knock on the door like you really want to know the truth and are willing to know the truth, even if the truth proves you wrong, and you're willing to see the light on the other side of the door, and you're willing to walk and have a connection to that light so that that light shines on you, and this is where the stopper is. So I tell you about Adam and Eve, that the, the cherub there, he's not keeping you from the tree of life. He's marking its location so you can find your way back. <laughs> they left the garden because they were afraid they couldn't see the light. They didn't want to see the truth. We see that right at the beginning of the story. They hid from God because they knew they did wrong. That is the message. You have to be willing to see you're in error in order to find your way back to the light. And the closer you get to the light, the more error you see in yourself, the more failing you see in yourself. And you have to forgive yourself as well as forgive everybody else. We're forgiven as we forgive. That's what Jesus says. That's his doctrine. And so, there, you know, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, and thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Forgive us this day our, uh, give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. So once I did that, then I could call myself a Christian. I wasn't going to call myself an Ecclesian. <laughs> and I don't have a problem with it. But I qualify what that really looks like. Because if you're not following Christ, if you're not following the way, if you say you believe, Jesus said that's not enough. You have to be a doer of the word. So what is the word telling us to do? Well, it isn't any different because God is the same today as he was yesterday. So we have to find out what that was. So basically this word Torah, as they say, means the law. Actually has to do with the instruction and teaching and law through the revelation of the Holy Spirit. That's what the Torah is doing. Now, Moses received the revelation of the Holy Spirit and he wrote things down in words that are symbols of ideas and shared them with the people. There was even Ten Commandments, supposedly, that's what we call it, Ten Commandments, Ten Statements, that were etched into stone. And they weren't etched into stone until it was very clear that the people's heart was so hardened that they would not go up the mountain. They they couldn't hear the truth. They were afraid of hearing the truth in their hearts and their minds. And so God wrote it on stone. But what the Ten Commandments are is instruction telling you how the universe works. How the law works. It's not really law itself and we'll look at that and find out. When I say it's not really law itself, in the way we often think of the term law today, God was not setting up a legal system with the ten statements on those stones. He wasn't setting up a legal system. Now, just saying that, unless you understand those two words, those two Latin words, jus juris, jus juris, which means what is just, right, and fair, what's true, they write. What is truly righteous. And the other word, lex legis, which means the law you are bound under. How do you get bound under that law? Through contracts, covenants, and constitutions. 
through the dainties of the king, as they use the term dainties in Proverbs, to to agree by consent to all have one purse, like we also see in Proverbs. Or their table is a snare, as we see David saying, and Paul quoting David in the New Testament. Most of these statements you're not going to get. By making men of the earth our fathers, instead of our natural fathers and the natural way of Christ through the family. The volunteers that we saw that I talked about on the Stossel report that just went out on Facebook or something this morning pretty early. Uh, is showing that these volunteers are way more efficient, way more dedicated, uh, helping all kinds of people. But the government bureaucracy is not so efficient. Why? Because they're a little bit closer to the way of Christ, which Christ was creating a, a government called the kingdom of God. He appointed that kingdom to his apostles. He said, you're not to run this government like the governments of the Gentiles who exercise authority and control from the top down, but you are to do it through charity, through faith, through hope, without an exercising authority. That's a different kind of government. We see as the kingdom track of that government in those volunteers over there helping people. And you're going to need lots more of those volunteers not so much in the Ukraine, maybe, as in your own hometown. And you need to organize yourself, which is another commandment of Christ to his apostles that you make the people sit down in symposia, which is ten men, and in groups of 50 and 100. He, he, he said he commanded his disciples to make the people organize themselves in that manner. Somebody said, well, that was just for that one thing in Mark 6 where they were going to need it for the distribution of food. Well, did they need it for distribution of food when the apostles were working daily in the temple? Rightly dividing the bread from house to house? How could they do that without a network? I mean, Peter's got to know where everybody lives and he's got to do this. Even the the picking of the seven that we see in Acts. You know, I nobody told me what that was. I asked over and over again in the seminary. Nobody told me what was really going on there. Oh, these guys were, you know, they they were like going to wait on the tables to make sure everybody got food at the table. Then why did they pick seven guys that lived all over the Roman Empire? They didn't live in the same town. They, seven guys, and they're going to, you know, they're serving... Unleavened bread at the table for widows and orphans. It says wait on tables. Except for that same word tables is also translated bank in the same book. And if you know the history of the time and why seven men and everything which we explain at preparing you, it gives you a little bit different picture. It'll show you what you need to do as volunteers. And we have we have free books as you can read online. Uh that we just have them up there. You don't have to become a member. You don't have to give me your credit card number, your email number. <laughs> just see, can you find it? But do you want to see the whole truth? So the Torah held to be the most uh, ancient of his stories it, it exists today in three separate versions. The Hebrew considered the authentic by the Jews and the Protestant clergies 
There's the Greek Septuagint, which was used as an authoritative in the Greek and other Eastern churches. And there is the Samaritan Torah, the the standard authority for that people, the Samaritans. Did you know there's still Samaritans around? <laughs> and they have their own Torah. And they they read from each of these. Now, I'm actually quoting that historian I told you about that died in 1906, I think it was. I have to do some of this by memory. Uh, anyway, these three versions differ greatly. One from another, even with regard to the lifetimes of the most celebrated figures in the text. In the Hebrew Torah, it is recorded that uh, from Noah's flood until the birth of Abraham, there was an interval of 292 years. In the Greek, that time span is given as 1,072 years. While the Samaritan version uh, is record, has a recorded span of 942 years. Now, personally, I don't think this is extremely important to you understanding the, the and what is the revelation of the Holy Spirit and what is the imagination of men who want to deceive you. Because right now, I see a concerted effort to deceive the whole world, not world, not just by the Bible and about the Bible, but about all kinds of things. And we're seeing that revealing itself. Yet, many people will be in denial and they will continue to say that uh, they believe what they know to be a lie. Which, which is evidence that Somebody is lying to them. They they won't accept that. So I just give that example because this particular scholar pointed out there's actually lots of other examples. And I'm not advocating, you know, I've, I've looked at the Samaritan text and uh, I've looked at some of the original uh, language that they have, although their, their Hebrew is a little bit different. Uh, I've looked at the Septuagint. My Greek is is not that good either. But I did have Father Dirks teaching me Greek back then when I was 14. <laughs> he was excellent. Uh, but uh, I've also looked at the Hebrew. But I'm not interested in calendars. God has not given me an enthusiasm for calendars. But he has given me an enthusiasm for truth. And I'm only pointing this out, you know. Uh, and there's guys like Henry Westcott. Uh, talks about the three Torahs and... Uh, and this descendant of Shem, because we have we we know Shem was blessed by Noah, but we don't know who Shem blessed. And and from the the creation of Adam to Noah's flood uh, is recorded as this one thousand six hundred and uh, uh, fifty six years, and the Greek Torah is. Uh, as this interval of 2,200, etc. So, what's the significance of that? Well, what's the significance of who Shem blessed? And we've explained before to people that uh, that Shem was probably Melchizedek. That was well accepted by Hebrew scholars for centuries, for a century upon century. And there's all kinds of extra books that wrote about that. 
And according to the chronology of time, he was still alive at the time of Abraham. But what we do know in the text is whoever Melchizedek was, which means righteous king. And why was Melchizedek a righteous king? Well, it's my contention is because he had... He was a king of a voluntary government. He was not exercising authority from top down. He was dependent upon people's free contributions to take care of the important duties of a king or ruler. He wasn't a ruler over the hearts and minds of men. He was a ruler of righteousness. And people supported him because he made good decisions. If you're in a government that forces the contributions of the people... You're not free. You're probably in the bondage of Egypt. And as an individual in the bondage of Egypt, they will tell you how much of your labor you have to give. God doesn't want you in that bondage. He wants to set you free. And he uses the true Torah and the true gospel to do that. We'll be right back. Well, welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. So... We're looking at these discrepancies that were pointed out by uh, this uh, Sir Abdul uh, who wrote back in 1906 or around that period of time. I'm actually not sure. He died when he was about 75. I remember that, but I'm not sure of the exact date. But he was a world-traveled scholar and wrote extensively, I mean thousands of papers on... uh, on his examination of the scriptures. He was, uh, uh, you know, an advocate of the scriptures, but he was pointing out what appeared to be discrepancy in these different uh, versions. And he reflects now over this discrepancy amongst these three Torahs. Uh, the case is indeed surprising, he says. The Jews and the Protestant belittle the Greek Torah, while the, while to the Greeks the Hebrew version is spurious, and the Samaritans deny both, as uh, the Hebrew and the Greek versions as not accurate, because it's not any different than those people who watch CNN and CBS and CNBC and NPR and Fox News. They, those people who follow those different news stories are not seeking the truth. They're seeking to verify that what they are watching, what they are accepting as truth, that becomes their God. That, that is the source of their revelation. That is this, you know, I was, you know, back two years ago when a lot of this pandemic was, I was getting, Feed from the BBC through one person, and and feed from actually from the state capital from another person, and I'm listening to this, and I'm getting more quiet, more still. <laughs> it's kind of like when I see you know a violent situation or a riot, I actually get calmer and calmer because I'm I know now is really important to listen to the Holy Spirit, and by my nature I just. I don't want to get swept away in the river, in the in the current of thought. That I can, I, I actually look into the heart of the people talking to me, and I'm realizing that you have been, you are being motivated by what you heard 
in your ears. You're not being motivated by the Holy Spirit. And hopefully the people that I'm interacting with will, uh, in what you would call the Logos, which we're going to get into, will also calm down and see that they are being swept away by a narrative that just isn't so. But then you have the second question, what is so? What is true? And it's not the version, although, you know, I use certain versions. I mean, King James is a version. I look at the Greek and Hebrew. But the version you want to know is the version that the Holy Spirit is telling you. And how do you know it's the Holy Spirit and not your own imagination? I mean, the word Torah shows up in the Bible, you know, 219 times. It supposedly means law or direction or instructions. But it says right in the definition of the Torah, in your standard concordance, it can be human or divine. So that's where you get the handwritten ordinances that were nailed to the cross were the handwritten ordinances of Herod and the Pharisees. Because Rome said there was a another king, one Jesus. They said, this is the king of the Jews. This is how the apostles got to work daily in the temple. Well, what were they doing in the temple? See, if you don't know what they were doing in the temple to begin with. But evidently, they were rightly dividing bread from house to house. Why? Because religion was the social welfare system of society. It wasn't just what you think about God. Now, what you think about God would affect the way in which you would set up a social welfare system. But the only place in the whole Bible where it talks about religion in a good sense, it tells you, because it's talking about pure religion, it's how you take care of the widows and orphans and needy of your society. And it's only pure if it's unspotted by the world. And if you don't know that the word world there in that one verse actually is defined according to the concordance as a constitutional order or system of government. You may not understand that. I just was listening to a course, online course, started taking at Hillsdale College, talking about David. I don't know if I'll ever get through it. I struggled through the introduction. Because in the introduction, Aaron there, Arn, whatever his name is, <laughs> uh, talked about of course, his kingdom was not of this world. Well, I know he's meaning that in the sense of not of this planet, not on this in this world, that it's a heavenly kingdom, it's where we go when we die, or something to that effect. I mean, he didn't go into details. But Jesus only said that to Pontius Pilate. He said, my kingdom's not of this world, this world where you're about to sit in the judgment seat. What Jesus was saying is you haven't got any legal jurisdiction because I I'm not a part of your system Pontius Pilate got it Pontius Pilate understood and he washed he didn't sit in the judgment seat he, he washed his hands of the case of course you have to understand Roman justice to maybe understand that well those are the kinds of things that we look at to figure this out but the Torah can be Law or just direction or instructions, either human or divine. 
if it's divine, how do you find out? You say, well, I read the Bible. How do you know your interpretation is correct? How do you know that your perception of the words is correct? You might think that Jesus' kingdom is not of the world. Yet, Jesus said, the kingdom is at hand. It's within your reach. Go and preach the kingdom of heaven at hand. It's for the living, not for the dead. But you say it's only after we die. Uh, well, your interpretation isn't consistent with the rest of the things that Jesus said. So is there something wrong? So the Torah could also include a body of prophetic teachings, uh, law of uh, the burnt offering. That's another thing. That, you know, I'm, I'm quoting phrases here out of standard definitions. The law of special uh, law, codes, of law, customs, manners. Well, in the Torah, we see statutes of Moses and commandments. And they even talk about the Deuteronomic or Mosaic law. Well, statutes, the word they use for statutes isn't the same as the words that uh, people are often thinking about as law. It means something different. If we look at Genesis 26.5, we see because that Abraham obeyed my voice, his voice. Well, logos is said to be words, voice. You know, and God, you know, spoke and, and creation came into being. So this voice of God, this is God speaking, because that Abraham obeyed my voice, this Still small voice other prophets talk about. This revelation in his heart and his mind. Not the information he was getting from the, uh, you know, fact checkers of his day. But this still small voice that guided him. And kept my charge. He puts in a word there, charge. Which is uh, Meshmereth. Which is kind of an important word that we will look at later. And we'll actually... That word is key to the coming uh, revelation and destruction and dearth that is going to be coming in the future. And so I mention it here so that those who follow all the way through, which this may take months to get all the way through, will have, that will come back into play. But that's not the words we're going to look at here so much in this particular verse of Genesis 26.5. He says, My commandments... My statutes and my laws. Well, we often refer to statutes as laws today. That The Romans would call that lex legis. That's part of the legal system. The law is jus juris. Well, they have the, the three words there we see in the Hebrew is uh, mitzvah, is commandments. And statutes is chuka. And the word my laws is the word Torah. So we see those three words all used there in relationship and sometimes even translated law. Uh, but uh, they're not always spelled the same way. Sometimes Torah is spelled completely different. It, like I said, the, the Mishmareth that I mentioned up here, the charge, uh, kept my charge. Uh, you'll find that same word 
used in Malachi 3.14, if you want to do extra credit, <laughs> you can go to our study on Malachi 3.14 at Preparing You, which we've already done. And there, that word there, Meshmereth, that we see translated charge here, is translated ordinance in Malachi 3.14. It actually has to do with... Uh, You've done my guardian work is really what it has to do with. But like I said, we're not going to focus on that. We're going to focus a little bit on this uh, idea of the Chukah statutes and uh, the commandments, mitzvah, uh, which isn't the only word translated commandments, but uh, in relationship to Torah, because that would give us a little bit of idea about Torah, because this is one of the problems of modern uh people throughout the world today is that they say the law is the law. Well, what law are we talking about? Are we talking about statute law? Are we talking about natural law? Are we talking about Torah law? We're talking about commandments of, you know, kings and rulers or your parents or, you know, because, uh, you know, like people think, well, honor thy father and thy mother. That means we have to obey our parents. No, honor thy father and thy mother means you have to fatten your parents because the word there, honor, actually means to fatten, to take care of, to provide for. That's what it means. It doesn't mean you should disobey your parents. You should obey your parents, but that's not what the commandment is trying to tell you. So anyway, like I said, in this Genesis 26.5 where we see this word Torah, you know, where he obeyed my voice and kept my charge my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. The word law there is Tav, Vav, Resh, Hey for Torah. But in this particular instance, we have Vav, Tav, Resh, Vav, Tav, Yad. Yet they translate it Torah, like it's the same Torah that we see in other places. But that isn't the word that we see there. And as a matter of fact, even the mitzvah and the the Chuka, which we see as statutes, they have extra letters in them. Like mitzvah has mem. Normally there's a mem, aon, vav, but there's a tav, yod here, instead of hey, vav, hey. And that's what we see also in the word Torah, where they start with a vav. Remember, that's a connecting letter or a dividing letter. Well, at the beginning it's connecting tav, vav, resh. Again, the vav connecting but instead of hey, they have another tov, faith to faith. And then they have a yod at the end, and the yod is divine spark. And we'll go through this a little bit by a little bit so that you can see. But actually, this is, it is that divine spark that is that point of revelation. It is that divine spark that makes man, man. It is that divine spark that connects you to God. Because you don't get the door flung wide open, you know, the doorway to this other realm. You get this point of light, this revelation, because God's not going to sweep all truth on you. He's going to sweep onto you this spark that tells you what you need to know today. You know, what do I do today? What, you know, who do I marry? That's a good question. You know, where do I live? What job should I take? How do we know these things? How how do we make these decisions? You read the Bible and it tells you? No, it's the divine spark that tells you. 
And you, when you sit down to read the Bible, you need that divine spark, that point of revelation with you in order to figure out what it is. Now, I've given you all this complicated or seemingly complicated information where the Torah, the mitzvah, the chuka, the statutes. I'm Basically, what I'm saying is that there is a law that was created when all things were created. And that pattern, that divine intelligence that created all things, that law is unchangeable. And that's what we're going to see when we get into understanding what the natural law is. Because that's that's the basic concepts and precepts. Once you understand that, everything else is going to fit into place based on that natural law. Because statutes can be unjust. Uh, statutes can be in violation of the law. Interpretations of statutes, you know, like keep holy the Sabbath. People say, oh, well, we have to count, we have to take Saturday off and go to synagogue or church on Saturday. And that becomes the whole basis of their religion. They won't let that go. But when you go study at Preparing You, go read our article on Sabbath. I think I have some recordings there as well. Sabbath is about a way. It's a statute. It, well, actually, that's part of the uh, Ten Statements. But you do it so that your days will be long upon the land. Well, no, that's actually why you you fatten your parents, so your days will be long upon the land. But you work six days and you take the seventh day off instead of take the first day off and have to work the six days. That's the key to the Sabbath. Because the Sabbath is about staying out of debt, about earning your rest, about being that doer of the word. Now, the fact is, is most of us aren't doers of the wording. So we have this divine intervention where God will heal somebody in advance. Christ did. Uh, he will protect somebody who doesn't deserve protecting. Uh but then he says that if you don't change, though, Jesus says this to the guys he heals. If you don't change, it's going to, you know, when they casting out demons, if you don't change, worse demons will come back in. And this is part of the prophecy, you know, and coming out of Egypt. We were never to go back to Egypt again. What was Egypt? All the gold was in the hands of the government. And 20% of your labor belonged to the government. So you had to work for the government. You know, 20% of every day or 20% of every year, you had to work for the government. You know, if you got paid $100, they got 20 of it. You know, they, they weren't using dollars then, but uh, they were using scarabs and things like that. But the point was, 20% of your labor belonged to the government. That's the bondage of Egypt. And you didn't own your stuff. That's that's where the whole world is today. Klaus Schwab and his, you will own nothing and be happy. I can't imitate his accent. You already own nothing. But they may come to take it away from you. And this is where it gets into that that peculiar word <laughs> that we see in Malachi and in uh, Genesis 26, 5. Uh, these guys are betraying the whole planet. They think they're on a mission to save the planet. You know, just like the global warming people think they're saving the planet. I mean, who's who's... Going to save Mars. It's heating up. <laughs> so, not very much, but we're not heating up very much. Uh, 
what's really going on? Well, somebody's promised, you know, Klaus Schwab the moon and all the people that are following him. And uh, they're bet- willing to per- betray the whole human race for what they believe is right. But they call evil good and good evil because they're they're not filled with the humility that is necessary for that divine spark. They're filled with, filled with self-righteousness. They are playing God. And that's why we did a few shows on on somebody like Noah Harari. You know, I mean, he says it right out. I, I don't do it to turn people against Noah Harari. I, I want you to turn towards that divine spark that shows you what is right. You will not be able to receive that as you forgive the Noah Hararis and Klaus Schwab's of the world. And the Pelosi's and CNN and NBC. And, but you also will not see it unless you, as you begin to see that the kingdom of God is a voluntary government based on faith, hope, and charity. And now you know a little bit more about faith. Faith comes with that divine spark. Faith is, has to be a faith in the God, not in an image of God that is created in your mind. It has to be a real relationship, something we're going to come back to over and over again because it's repeated over and over again in the text. And the way you come back in a relationship with God is you follow the ways of God. The righteous ways of God, which is you have to love your neighbor as much as yourself. You don't want to be taking a bite out of your neighbor, especially through men who exercise authority, especially through the pharaohs and nimrods and canes of the world. You want to take care of one another through a voluntary system. And in order to do that effectively, you need to sit down in the tens, fifties, hundreds, and thousands like Christ commanded his disciples to make the people do. Now, they didn't go around with a whip like you see in the movie Ten Commandments with Moses and whip the people into line to pull their weight. They just said, this is what Christ wants us to do. And he wants his ministers to expect the people to do it. Most of the churches out there in those 40,000 denominations, they do not take care of the widows and orphans of society. They do not rightly divide the bread from house to house. If the if the houses in their church need bread, they have a list of phone numbers to call the government, the men who exercise authority, to go eat at their table, even though Paul and David said their table is a snare. Even though Proverbs say that if you sit and eat with a ruler and you be a man of appetite, put a knife to your throat because he serves deceitful Meats, those dainties, are a snare. They will bring you back into the bondage of Egypt. You should have heard this. Your parents, your grandparents should have heard this message from your churches a hundred years ago. When FDR offered the people lots and lots of dainties from men like FDR and LBJ and Obama and, and all the presidents in between. Those are just the... Kind of, you know, if you were to see a chart, they would be the spikes of dainties went up with them. But that's not what you should be eating at. 
that table is a snare. But you are. You're signed up. You got a number to prove that you have a right to eat at that table and, uh, and you paid into that table for years and you're not very forgiving. So you're saying, well, I paid in. I want that money. Now I'm not begrudging anybody. I'm just telling you the truth. Now I've cracked the door open a little bit. The heaven is a system of voluntarism, a system of love, a system of sacrifice, a system of caring for one another. By choice. Because the God of nature endowed you with the power of choice. But you gave that choice to people like FDR. And Nimrod. And Pharaoh. And Caesar. And LBJ. And Obama. And you want to give it to Trump. None of that is your salvation. That, that's going on in the world. But until your religion is unspotted by that world, where you're not dependent upon them, you have need of repentance. And you're, you're, you're waking up now and you're in the bondage of Egypt. Forgive them for putting them, forgive your parents, forgive your grandparents, forgive your teachers in school, forgive the churches that didn't tell you the whole truth. They don't know what they're doing. They sit in darkness. But have you seen this much of the truth that you're back in the bondage of Egypt that they have a malevolent intent to maybe destroy large sections of the populations of the world? They want power to make choices for you. They don't want you to speak. They don't want you to open your business. They... they. You know, somebody was telling me they went to the airport and in order to get through security, they had to walk two by two, two people, in step. They had to walk in step. Or the lady was yelling that she would send them back to the beginning if they didn't walk in step. So these, you know, sometimes if you're traveling alone, you have to walk in step with somebody else. And the reason why, they got guard dogs circling around you, I guess, in front and back to sniff out bombs or whatever they're doing. I don't know. But it's all about control. It's all about power over your neighbor. It's not about loving your neighbor. You need to get in the way of Christ, which is about sacrificing your life for others in a way that strengthens the poor. That's how you seek the kingdom of God. The best way to do that is in a network of people. Because you can't keep track of a hundred people, but you can keep track of ten or eleven or twelve. And you start practicing. You know, we, we talked last night about somebody who is having all kinds of depression and all this kind of, a lot of tragedies just happened in their life. But they're extremely selfish people. They don't do anything for anybody else. Everything is about themselves. Been that way for years and years. And now it's kind of snowballed on them. But the, one of the greatest cures of depression is to start caring about other people as much as you care about yourself. Start taking back your responsibilities. This is what the Torah was all about. This is what Abraham was all about. This is what the altars of Abraham, if you don't know what they are, look up our page on altars at Preparing You and find out what they were doing. Because Christ was doing what Abraham and Moses was doing. Just different terminology. We'll be right back. 
Well, welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. So, this same uh, word uh, that we see, commandments and Torah, in the Genesis quote is also in the Exodus sixteen twenty-eight, where it is written, and again we're looking at the English translation, and the Lord said unto Moses, How long refuse ye to keep my commandments? And he uses the word mitzvah. And my laws, Torah. Well, now I can hear echoing out of the thousands of denominations. Oh, but the law has been done away with. Again, which law? The the law of the Pharisees that put the people back into the bondage of Egypt under the laws of Herod? Because that's what happened. Herod instituted a system of social welfare based on forced offerings. You signed up. And you had to pay in to the temple, which was a government building, which didn't even exist. I mean, the temple they had at the time of Jesus Christ, that was built by Herod. And he was able to build it by Herod because he had this tremendous influx of money. He had this tremendous influx of money and building supplies because they had already invited, when Aristobulus and Hyrcanus was vying in, in, in a literally a civil war, for the kingship of Judea. They were vying for that position. Aristobulus had invited in the Romans. Pompey. There was no emperor at that time in Rome. So they didn't invite the emperor. They, Rome was, Pompey was a police keeping force. International police keeping force that was arresting pirates in Libya. And dealing with the, the criminality of the people in Libya. And he was invited to come and resolve this issue. And we've told that whole story. And so he goes and he resolves that issue. And uh, actually he first sends a general. And then that the, the general, you know, the fighting stops when the Romans show up. Because nobody wants to fight the Romans. And Aristobulus is in power. But then... They they get complaints from the local people who come to the Romans as the UN police keeping force, the Pax Romana, and say, you know, they're not supposed to be doing this according to the law in our country. And he looks at their law and he agrees. But Aristobulus didn't like those reforms. And so he writes to Pompey. And Pompey comes and says... Show me your law. He reads the law and he decides, I backed Aristobulus. And Aristobulus doesn't have the best claim to the throne. He, he listened to the case. Just like Pontius Pilate was going to listen to the case made against Jesus. But Pompey sided with Hyrcanus, not with Aristobulus. The money that he had received from, the gold that he had received from Aristobulus, he gave away. To the temples, which were charitable institutions. And he backed Hyrcanus. But Hyrcanus said, according to the law, I can't make a treaty with you. And so anyway, I could tell you the rest of the story, a fascinating story. But if you understand what was going on, who, what was the difference between Aristobulus and Hyrcanus? What was the difference between Hyrcanus and Herod? Because the Romans brought all kinds of building of harbors and roads and stone buildings, money flowed in Israel. 
peace reigned in Israel. Trade came in from far off in Syria and everything. And people were making money. And so there was lots of money flowing into Judea. And Herod wanted a piece of it. So he set up a system like what was being created in Rome at that time. This is this is now under the Caesars, Augustus Caesar. And uh, they were setting up a welfare system through the government temples where you signed up, became a member, you were registered, and then you had to pay in. You were expected to pay in a percentage of what you produced. And there would be guys going out making sure you did it. The Gabi at Molkai. History has repeated itself. You've done the same thing starting at least with FDR. You were actually doing it before that. But FDR was a huge spike in benefits. And you became collateral for the debt he was creating. And you willingly signed up for that. And you got all kinds of benefits. And those benefits have grown and grown and grown. But now they're out of money. Now you're going to see them decreasing. You're not going to see them taking care of the widows and orphans or even you. And you need to repent and go back to the kingdom. Because that's the only way to do it. And the side effect of that is it begins to open the door. It is that you're knocking on the door of seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness because it's righteous to take care of the needy of your society. It is not righteous to covet your neighbor's good through men who exercise authority one over the other. That is not righteous, never was. Back in the Ten Statements, that is not righteous. That is coveting your neighbor's goods, desiring to force your neighbor to contribute to your welfare. And so that's that's a different thing. Like again, like I said, that, that word Torah that we see show up in Genesis and Exodus 16.28. It's spelled different. And there's several ways to spell it. And those several ways to spell it, this one includes Avav, Tav, Resh, Bav, Tav, Yad. No, hey. Two Tavs divided by Resh and Vav. This is obeying the divine spark, the will of God, the natural law, in spirit and in truth. Two faiths. In spirit and in truth. That's what that word is trying to suggest. Because that Yod is that infinite point, divine spark, hidden in the spirit. But it is also said to mean deed and work. Not because it's the result of deeds and work, but deeds and works are what come about because of the divine spark. And that divine spark is now faith from God rather than faith from your own imagination, from what you believe God is. It's actually God writing upon your heart and your mind through that divine spark. And that faith compels certain deeds. Not me. I don't compel them. Not the governor, not the president, not the prime minister, not acts of parliament or the congress. But it's the actual divine spark in your heart. If you don't act upon what that spark shows you, the flame will go out. That's what the guy in New Zealand was imparting. I thought he did a pretty good job. What he said, I I could sit down and we could talk about it. 
we have we have a recording up where I interviewed him and another fellow, one from Australia, one from New Zealand, because they're beginning to realize this. But he's also realizing that if you don't start acting upon what you're beginning to see, what you're beginning to realize, then you will lose it. It will just fade away from your mind. Because it's not your flame. It's the divine spark. And this is why Christ said, it's not enough to hear the word, to agree with the word. You have to become a doer of the word. This keeps the flame alive in your heart and your mind. The flame is independent of you. The Holy Spirit lists where it wills. And what what is essential in receiving the Holy Spirit is that you act upon that Holy Spirit and the revelation that it gives you. Uh, that particular phrase, you know, I actually equate it with that picture of Michelangelo where it shows God reaching out and Adam reaching up and their their hands coming together and, and you know, touching their fingertips. In that fingertip is the divine spark. Man has to reach out. God reaches out all the time. That is the nature of God. He's the giver of life, creator of life. But when that divine spark touches us, that is how he writes his character on our heart and our mind. And his character is that you do the work first and then you get the rest. That's the Sabbath. That's what they're expressing. It's not magical days. It's not counting of days. It's a change of the heart where you're going another way. Not the way of the world, the way of force, the way of covetousness, the way of greed, but the divine spark of God, the character of God in our heart and our mind. And it will lead us to realize that honor thy father and thy mother is to take care of thy father and mother, which is one of the first reasons why the government comes along and says, oh, you don't have to take care of your father and mother. We'll take care of your father and your mother through Social Security. The goal of these systems is to kill care in the hearts and minds of the people because that cuts them off from the divine spark. That I have no control over. I can't give you the divine spark. The revelation of God. I can talk about what the revelation of God says. What it doesn't say. What the Bible says and what it doesn't say. In the context of the history. But your real journey begins when you start caring about others as much as you care about yourself. Which is what Moses said. It's what we see Abraham doing. It's what we see all the people that set up the altars of Abraham, which was actually a system of social welfare. Go read our article on altars of clay and stone and see what the Hebrew actually says. But until you start doing that, you're not going to receive the divine spark. You're not going to make that connection. You may have an emotional connection. We talked about that. The the three words of the Greek philosophers, logos, which is right reason, pathos, which is empathy, and then ethos, which is some some charismatic preacher who gets millions from you and makes you feel good, gives you the pathos, the emotion. But logos is right reason. 
And it is not right to covet your neighbor's goods through the men who exercise authority one over the other. Christ said it was not to be that way with you, but with almost every denomination that they say it is okay to covet your neighbor's goods. Desire benefits at the expense of your neighbor through men who exercise authority one over the other. And you wonder why you've gone back into the bondage of Egypt because you thought it was okay to put your own brothers and your own neighbors into the bondage of Egypt. Isn't that how they got into the bondage of Egypt to begin with? The brothers of Joseph sold him into the bondage of Egypt out of jealousy and envy. If you want the benefits of men who exercise authority, you will go under authority. Because you judge it's okay to put your neighbor under authority, you will go under authority. That is the Torah. That is the law of cause and effect. That is the law of nature. And that ultimately is where we're going to go is to understand this law of nature and how it works and hopefully get some insight into our own hearts and minds and where we have fallen short from the ways of God. Because Jesus emphasized the keeping of the commandments. Matthew 19.17 Is it not written? It says, And he said unto him, Why callest thou me good? There is none good but one, that is God. But if thou wilt enter into life, he says the same thing in another place, eternal life, keep the commandments. But of course, in order to keep the commandments, you have to know the commandments. We got all these guys who are Seventh-day Adventists and they think, oh, well, we have to count six days and then we take off the seventh day. Read the article. Ponder it. Pray about it. It's about debt. Everybody, if you're, if you're in debt, if your society is in debt, you haven't been keeping the commandments. Because you didn't work first. You borrowed against the future, and that's what they're doing every day. I mean, they tell you on the, they tell you on CNN, they tell you on CS, or whatever it is, NBC, ABC, you know, all the alphabet outfits, that the debt is going up. Every year, they're raising the debt ceiling. In every country. All around the world. That none of those people are keeping the Sabbath. Because they're borrowing against the future of their children. Which is what Peter said. That you would be made merchandise, human resources, by your covetous practices. He also said you would curse children by the covetous practices. Not just your children, but your neighbor's children. Because you're putting the debt on them. You're never going to pay off that debt. The only salvation now, you know, I used to talk about this, explain this in the books, like the the covenants of the gods. I go through it, the whole thing with how you go into bondage. Uh, you know, like I said, it was originally a 700-page book, but I reduced it down to 144 pages. You can download it for free online and read it. And I've taken it to top attorneys, men who wrote law books, and they said, you're right, but they're not going to like you. Why? Because I'm telling the truth. Those two people are not going to like me. The people that have been telling you the lies and then many of you who love the lie or want to believe the lie. That you're free 
in America are free in Australia. Well, Australia's gotten a big wake-up call. They're not as free as they thought. <laughs> but America's gotten, should have had a wake-up call. I mean, this certainly was there, but a lot of them didn't. But people are starting to stir and ask questions. Christ had the answer. Moses had the answer. That seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness. I mean, Abraham had the answer. I mean, Jesus really had the answer. Jesus was the answer himself. But the real Jesus. Not the made-up, fictitious Jesus that says, oh, it's okay to covet your neighbor's goods. Even though he said, you know, John fourteen fifteen Is it not written there? If you love me, keep my commandments. And And he summed up the whole Ten Commandments including the Sabbath, because he summed it up in two laws. Love God. Love your neighbor as yourself. Well, how does keeping, you know, the seventh day, you know, taking a rest on the seventh day or meeting on the seventh day, how's that loving your neighbor? Staying out of debt. Now you can love your neighbor. But, you know, just going to church on Saturday... That doesn't, how does that help anybody? It's, it's not rituals and chants and magic words and keeper of days. It's a keeper of righteousness. So if you're keeping the Sabbath and you're in debt or you're borrowing money against the future so you can have benefits at the expense of your neighbor and your neighbor's children, you're not keeping the Sabbath. You're certainly not keeping the commandments. If you've made a, a covenant or agreement so that you can get these benefits at the expense of your neighbor, you're willing to take a bite out of your neighbor to get those benefits. That's not what Christ was teaching. And it's now we're seeing the repercussions of that, which we call the wrath of God. The wrath of God is the consequences of going against the God of creation and the nature of that creation. Because, see, all those ten statements are telling you about, if you think it's okay to murder your neighbor, then it's okay for your neighbor to murder you. You'll be judged according to the way you judge. If you think it's okay to take away from your neighbor so that you can have free stuff, then it's okay for your neighbor to take away from you so he can have free stuff, right? That's that's built in. That's built into creation itself. In Corinthians 6.14 it says, Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. Unbelievers in what? The people who don't believe in living by faith, hope, and charity, but do believe in living by force, fear, and fealty. But are you unequally yoked with those unbelievers? So that they have control over your life? For what righteousness with unrighteousness why are you what are the rewards of unrighteousness they also the same greek words also are translated i'm using the king james here as wages of unrighteousness that's the benefits you get from men who exercise authority the men who borrow against the future and take away from your neighbor so that you can have free stuff that's the wages of unrighteousness but with those wages comes unrighteousness. 
Because if you think unrighteousness is okay, don't cry for justice. This is why Jesus said the weightier matters are law, judgment, mercy, and faith. What mercy have you had on your neighbors if you want the government to take away from your neighbors so that you can have stuff? Is that mercy? Is that love? Is that taking a bite out of one another? You know that that will lead to you being devoured. Don't bite one another lest you be devoured. And what communion hath light with darkness? Communion. Kononia is the Greek. Communion. And communion could also be considered Eucharist, Thanksgiving. Again, the kingdom of God operates by charity, which is the Eucharist of Christ. Thankful for the opportunity of giving. Giving wisely, giving so that you strengthen the poor. That idea of a voluntary network of taking care of one another is absolutely essential. Like I said, Matthew seven sixteen, ye shall know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? Are they covetous of one another? Are they taking away from one another? In Matthew 7.20 Wherefore by their fruits ye shall know them. Isn't that what James is talking about? Judge them by their works. Even Second Thessalonians uh, first chapter verse 11 I think it is. Wherefore also we pray always for you that our God would count you worthy of this calling and fulfill all the good pleasure of his goodness, his goodness and the works of faith with power. The works of faith with power. What do you think that word power is? What do you think they're telling you? Is that dunamis? Is it exosia? They don't tell you all the time. We tell you all the time. We tell you what the truth is. But you need to understand what these commandments are, what the way is. You need to then put that understanding into action so that more understanding can come to you. So that you can begin to see the whole gospel of Jesus Christ. The whole truth. Because that's the definition of a lie. Is something that is not the whole truth. In Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven, Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind. That is the actual God, not an imaginary God you've created in your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like unto it, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. And that's why we started with going through the different prophets. We have studies of many of the different prophets at uh, preparing you. 
and uh, we put in side panels so that you can look up the words and find out what they were really talking about. And it's the same thing over and over again because people kept straying in the same way. And now we're at a point in our own history where we have strayed in a similar way. And now we are in a lot of trouble and that trouble is going to become more and more because the wrath of God is the consequences of going against the law of God, which is the law of nature, which is explained by the Logos, which we will examine more in in subsequent shows. But uh, also, it is the law of the Torah, the law of taking care of one another through charity. They didn't, the, the word charity doesn't even show up in the Old Testament, but that's the work of the translators. The word free will offering. Corbin was a free will offering. But it wasn't a free will offering under Herod and the Pharisees. It became a compelled offering because you signed up and agreed to, you consented to have one purse. And Herod controlled that person. That's why Jesus talks, I mean the word is also translated treasury in the New Testament. But anyway, we're out of time. So I'm going to tell you peace on your house and may God be with you. Join us on the network by going to preparingyou.com or hisholychurch.org and looking up the network links. Join the network in your area. Get to know people. Until then, peace on your house and may God be with you. God bless. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net. Thank you.